0: Welcome to the 14th episode of the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast. Today, we are joined with a very special guest, perhaps the most special to date, in Gaia Dempsey, the CEO of Metaculous. If you're watching this uh, podcast on YouTube, or you're listening on one of our podcasting platforms, you probably know what Metaculous is, and you've probably used it a good amount. Um, But today, we're hoping to dig into bit of the person behind Metaculous, um, you know, how she got to where she is today and what she sees as the future of Metaculous moving forward. Um, Guy, I want to give you an opportunity to say a couple words about yourself for our listeners and then um, hopefully we can also hear your story about how you became the CEO of Metaculous um, and sort of what you're doing before then.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Um, It's uh, it's an honor. Um, I do want to just really start by saying that there are many people behind Metaculus, and uh, I'm just one of them. Um, uh, first, starting with the four founders of Metaculous who actually started the project all the way back in 2014. Um, I've been involved since 2019 and I'll, I'll tell a little bit of that story. Um, and then of course, um, you know, in addition to, to the, the founders and the team uh, the forecasters and and the, you know, hundreds and thousands of people who participate from all around the world. So it's definitely a community project. Um, uh, yeah, I can, I can share a little bit about sort of how I arrived uh, to here and, uh, and um, got to be a part of this team. So my background is in mostly sort of tech entrepreneurship. Uh, I, uh, shortly after graduating from from college, um, got involved in, and co-founded a tech company that made augmented reality products, hardware and software. And I did that for seven years and helped to grow that company um, in a fairly sort of classic, you know, fast growth uh, mode, uh, uh, really um, incredible startup journey. And, um, and I just I just learned a ton and 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 uh, and had a blast and, and got to work with some really brilliant people. Um, mostly the clients that we were working with were enterprise companies at the time, um, and so and, but at, at, at especially toward the end, um, we did actually do some work with um, government contracts uh, through uh, government grants. And so I got to dip my toe a little bit in the water of doing research projects and um, and just uh, thought that that was uh, very exciting. And so when I decided to sort of step away from, from that um, after a seven year stint there, um, I was exploring, you know, just getting reconnected with, um, Uh, Some of my intellectual and and academic interests and curiosity there, and uh, ended up starting to get very excited about um, just the impact of artificial intelligence on society and sort of the ethical dimensions. Um, And in my time working in AR, we thought a lot about the augmentation of people and our, you know, and human capabilities using technology. Um, and so there is a, a pretty strong connection there. And sort of through my exploration of, uh, of just the AI world, um, I ended up meeting Anthony Aguirre, who's one of the founders of Metaculus. And in, when we first met, we were not really talking about forecasting at all. We were talking about AI and we were talking about, um, uh, we were talking more about kind of, we were talking about the future, but we were talking about it more in the realm of sort of scenario planning and simulation and looking at possible futures and how, um, you know, truly transformative technologies could, you know, create sort of very different future worlds um, and sort of what the impacts of that could be. And we ended up um, organizing a conference together to bring people uh, from different um, disciplines to uh, to really kind of have that um, space to, to do that scenario planning and to do some world building and sort of war gaming and simulation scenarios, um, which was a, which was a great time. And then eventually we ended up um, co-authoring a, a paper on AI ethics uh, with two other co-authors. And so it was just this, you know, collaboration that started to expand and, and, and flourish. Um, and uh, somewhere along the way, he said, you know, hey, we're I also have this Um, this project called Metaculous and, you know, you're, you have an entrepreneurial background and um, would you be interested in advising? And, uh, and so I started to, to, um, you know, kind of uh, make forecasts and, and, uh, and get to know the, the community and the tools. Um, And about a year after I began advising, um, we all decided uh, that I would come on full-time as CEO. And so that was, almost a year ago um, now
2: and what sort of drew you in particular to the to the forecasting side of things um, and Metaculus in particular like is there a common thread between forecasting and uh, what was being done at Takari with AI that um, you sort of found a similar passion or was it Something that was different enough, but you know, still in the same sort of human augmentation that was keeping that really brought you interested into this topic.
1: It's a great, it's a great question. I think you know that for me, the thread that that I see that is a, a really strong connection is about sort of the way that we um, improve our decision-making processes as people and as organizations. Um, so in in augmented reality you know, a lot of what we were doing at DACRE was helping people to visualize data in a decision relevant space um, in real time. Um, and, and that, those tools are really, were appropriate for um, a lot of kinds of like manufacturing and industrial work where you're connecting um, things that are happening live on the ground with sort of the bigger picture company strategy. And uh, in forecasting, you know, it's, uh, obviously a a whole different set of tools, Um, but there is this common theme around um, improving how we think. You know, one of my lifelong heroes is Douglas Engelbart. And, you know, in in his classic um, treatise, you know, he really talks about if you invest in improving the way that human beings think, um, that's kind of an infinitely... Um, returning investment because it just increases our, our capabilities um across the board. And so he, you know, he um, was thinking a lot about using computational tools to extend human capabilities. Um, and, uh, and, and just had a lot of you know incredibly brilliant um and at the time ext- extremely novel ideas for you know a, a some of the things that we now consider like basic, the basic foundation of personal computing really um, came from folks like Doug Engelbart uh, and, and, and other pioneers at that time. And, um, you know, he was uh, thinking about human augmentation as a completely sort of different impulse than the impulse of human replacement he has, uh, uh, you know, was, is considered one of the sort of like founders of that school of thought that technology is not about replacing humans, but is about, you know, having a human centric point of view and, uh, and extending what we're capable of. And so forecasting, you know, it's this fascinating um, space that connects the dots across, you know, the research and the applications. And, um, and, you know, the, the research side is just asking the question, how, What is possible to forecast? How far in advance um, can we, you know, can we trust a forecast? Um, What are the best methodologies? Um, What sort of, you know, data aggregation uh, is the most valuable to do? And how can we use things like um, AI and machine learning optimization and natural language processing to sort of improve our ability to um, identify the signal from, from the noise? And uh, and then the application is, of course, you know, it's that empirical um, uh, ground space where we take the things that we, uh, you know, that 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 are working, and we apply them. And even in that application, you know, we're continuously learning. And that um, that's really ex- one of the most exciting things to me about forecasting is that it has this beautiful relationship between um, being a place of accountability where we can actually test our assumptions and and test our reasoning and, and and get feedback and debug our reasoning process and understand where we may have made a wrong turn. Um, and at the same time, as it's a tool for accountability, it's also a tool for learning. And just that it, it to me, it's quite motivating that way that, um, you know, we, uh, we can um, bring that toolkit to individuals and organizations who are interested in, uh, you know, in actually uh, learning and getting better and better in um, in that decision making process.
2: And where would you say that metaculus sort of fits in within the, the the space of forecasting? Right, you have you know people at at Petho who do research based you know contributions to forecasting, trying to find better ways to improve elite forecasters. Um, whereas metaculus, it, it seems more like a, an, an entryway into into forecasting taking it sort of away from academia and more into a social space um, is that what you see sort of Metaculus's current contribution to forecasting do you see it being somewhere else? I, I know there's a lot of new initiatives but just in terms of like the baseline of of Metaculus um, where where would you say it fits in?
1: you know I think there are a few things that I think make Metaculus a, a unique place. Um, on the internet. Um, one is that we have a really strong focus on community and uh, we, you know, have thousands of questions that have been authored by members of the Metaculous forecasting community. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's something that, that is pretty, pretty unique and special and, and it's, you know, writing a good forecasting question can sometimes be an underappreciated part of the process. Um, it takes a bit of skill. Um, and so we have a real community in the sense that there are people who have been doing it for years on the platform, and we have great community moderators. Um, and so you can actually learn how to do that and get better at it. Um, and it's pretty exciting, you know, when you have a kind of burning question about the future, and you actually get to see a lot of community engagement with that question. Um, and I know that you guys have just started to to write some uh, questions uh, as global guessing on on Metaculus, which is really, um, really awesome to see. Um, and uh, and then we have you know this this space as, as you're pointing to Clay, where you know we do real world projects and we work with organizations um, to understand their key themes, their key priorities, and you know upcoming decisions. Um, And we do that sort of translation and that coordination process where we look at the tools that we have um, and we connect the dots uh, to help organizations like the Good Food Institute, like the Virginia Department of Health, um, to, you know, bring forecasting into their decision-making process in a way that that's meaningful. Um, And then we also have, you know, our sort of research hats on um, uh, you know, on occasion as well. Um, a lot of our kind of focus in internally lately has been more on um, what I think of as uh, like a product development process, less than an R and D process. But we certainly have um, uh, we certainly have teammates who are who are very much focused on sort of R and D in terms of thinking about how do we, in particular, integrate new technology. Um, into our platform to be able to um, use uh, machine learning and AI to uh, do a sort of differential recalibration and reweighting across, you know, the way that we aggregate forecasts um, to get a to get a more accurate signal.
0: So you've talked about you know the future of Metaculus and some of the exciting things going on there, and you've also alluded to how when you step back from sort of the science of forecasting, it's a very useful tool for decision making and scenario planning. Um, are there examples of times that you've used forecasting um, in your personal life, whether it be outside of sort of meticulous operations or even for the company um, to sort of think about the future? Uh, yeah, in any way.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. Um, And I do just want to say, by the way, the reason that I I, I really want to acknowledge the the scientists in the space who have been doing tremendous work, you know, for for many years um, to really bring the science of probabilistic forecasting um, to where it is today. And I think that uh, in large part, the reason why um, I sort of have the the mental space and and we have the time, you know, uh, in our... In our organization, to sort of go and say yes, let's take this out into you know into projects, um, is that we have so much trust and confidence in um, in the fact that you know a lot of the this, the the work that's been done in the in the science and research um, you know projects that have come before um, has just created tools that really work well, uh, and so in, in in large part you know that. Um, a lot of credit really goes to to Phil Tetlock um, and his many and Barbara Mellers and and many of their collaborators, um, and also people like you know Rob Hindman, um, who who have done a, a tremendous amount of work on time series forecasting and and um, you know in, in in other sort of technical spaces. Uh, so it's um yeah it's really it it really feels like we're part of a much larger research community. Um, that is now expanding into being a community of both research and practice, and having those two spaces really, you know, collaborate and connect the dots. So, um, yeah. And in terms of you know using forecasting in my own life, uh, one of our uh, one of our uh, teammates at Metaculus, Christian, um, who you'll all probably see uh, uh, on on the platform and and um, and, and maybe on Twitter sometimes. Um, uh, shared a story with me recently about sort of having arguments with like friends and family about politics. And one of his new tools that he uses to sort of um, just stop an argument in its tracks is to say like, well, what do you think the probability is of that outcome? Um, and so, you know, whoever he's he's talking with will sort of say, well, I think it's, you know, 90% or 95% or uh, you know, because they're sort of arguing for that, for that stance. And he's like, well, I would give it maybe a 15% chance or a 20% chance. And it's like, you just, you know, at that point, there's just a, you know, we've put a stake in the ground where, where our beliefs are and we don't have to kind of go back and forth on the arguments over and over again. We can just sort of wait and see what happens. Um, so I think, I think that that was a really uh, <laughs> a, a tool that I learned from. And I ended up actually using that technique in a couple of conversations after that. Um, And then in terms of, you know, forecasting in, you know, bigger sort of life decisions, I think we all do that intuitively. Um, And, uh, and there aren't necessarily, um, there isn't necessarily the need to like write down an explicit model and, 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 you know, write down what our, our priors are, and then update them as we go along for every single life decision. But for the big ones, um, I actually do, you know, I, I do that a bit bit more, um, in the last couple of years than certainly than in the past.
2: And do you guys use forecasting internally at Metaculous, um, to forecast potential, you know, forecast future, of the business, um, potential deals, any of that, uh, do you guys, are, are you guys forecasting internally, uh, at Metaculous and how so?
1: No, it's a, it's a great question, Clay. We, we don't do enough of it. We have, uh, we've started, um, it's uh, it's an interesting sort of quirk of contaculus culture that you know that we're so focused on um, very quantitatively evaluating quality of, of reasoning uh, through all of the tools that we build and um, and those tools are not always uh, internally focused so we've started to do a little bit more of that I think that you know if I'm looking at myself as a forecaster I think I do you know I have certain areas I think I do pretty well in um, but if you ask me to forecast on a topic where I have a particularly personal interest, um, and especially if there's something that I believe I can do to move the needle uh, to to change the outcome, um, I'm not really going to be an an unbiased forecaster uh, as much as I would like. And maybe that's an area to improve, but I, I've, I have, um, I am self-aware about that. Um, So I think, you know, there's a, Um, There's a set of tools around just measuring, you know, key performance indicators inside of the company and looking at where are the metrics that we care about now and where do we want them to be, you know, in 30, 60, 90 days or a year from now. Um, That's actually a little bit more about sort of the psychology of motivation as well as just, um, you know, keeping, making sure that you're being systematic in your prioritization. Um, and you're really looking at, you know, the things that that deserve, you know, your the, the, the most time um, as well as sort of, you know, your best, your best working hours. For some people, it's first thing in the morning. And for some people, they really get the most done, you know, late at night. And that's kind of an individual thing. Um, and so it's sort of, you know, a tool for aligning your priorities uh, with, you, you know, making sure that you that the right numbers are ticking up Um but that's uh, obviously quite different than um, than actually forecasting, and I think that you know they they can be related though. So as you get more sophisticated in your um, measurement of key performance indicators within a company, then you know you start to see patterns, and you can you can actually use forecasting um, to uh, you know to, to as a, I, I would see that as kind of a, like a an additional sort of playful layer because I do think that in our company culture it's really important to um, you know, we don't want to demotivate someone by like forecasting that a project is not going to work out um, when it may be that we're actually trying to encourage experimentation in something we've never done before. And uh, we're, you know, accepting that like a big part of that the value from a project like that might be learning what's possible.
2: Yeah, actually, I was just thinking given just the nature of startups and what any base rate of success is, it's probably difficult to forecast really important things without just, you know, even if you understand like the base rates and that, you know, if let's say there's a 10% success of startups and now you're forecasting 17, that's actually great. But, you know, 17 is not for people going to be an intuitively positive number. No one's going to say, hey, we're 70% above the base rate, or that probably wouldn't be their own first thought. So I I could I could see how that can make bringing forecasting in uh, a little bit more challenging, especially... Just you know, given the nature of you know early stage companies,
1: one of the funny things about forecasting uh, on about Metaculus though is that we there are quite a quite a few questions about the future of Metaculus that are just public you know that are about Metaculus that are on the platform. So one that came up recently was the Alexa um, Index. Uh, there was the Alexa Index. Um, there was another one about you know what's the likelihood that you know Metaculus will put out a mobile application. And for iOS and Android, and I just, I just, I wrote to uh, somebody said, well, has this been, um, you know, ha- has this been seriously discussed publicly? And I just answered honestly, and I said, well, we're working on a um, mobile-first design. We're we're going to share it very soon, and for for comments, and we're really excited to see you know, how people respond to this this design. And like, we know that Metaculus is not super easy to use on mobile devices, and we really want to um, address, address that challenge. Um, and so because we've like just invested a bunch of time in thinking about, you know, a mobile first design that's responsive, uh, we probably are not going to prioritize, you know, a, an application for a while. And they were just like, thanks, that's great. That totally you know, <laughs> influences my forecast. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it's, uh, I really like the transparency, um, you know, that, uh, that that sort of, you know, open-ended, open, end, open um, access, you know, question about what we're working on um, can be part of of what the community is forecasting on. And and it's not exactly the same as like a, a poll, right? It's not like, hey, do you want us to build a mobile app? that's certainly not what the question was, um, but we can sort of glean from, you know, how popular is the question and there are lots of people, you know, is there a lot of activity? Like we, w- we might take that as a kind of an input.
2: So the, the so the more forecasts that are on that question might indicate that it, it's more likely. So that that could be a, a a signal to keep a lookout on that question. There you go. The more the more forecasts actually should tick up a little bit.
0: Um, so I want to go back to the KPIs briefly because I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, we talked offline about how Metaculus is partnering with the Virginia Department of Health um, to launch this forecasting tournament, the Keep Virginia Safe tournament. Um, you know, how do KPIs that you're looking at differ from, you know, a tournament like that to sort of just thinking about Metac, as a platform or generally are there different things that you're looking at or are some of them the same across both? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, and I I think that the two sets of kind of goals there are are really related, but they are a little bit distinct. Um, So for a project like the Keep Virginia Safe Tournament, you know, we are really looking at how can we provide information in a way that is timely and accurate, um, that is as absolutely relevant um, and valuable as possible to our partners at VDH. And, you know, that requires a lot of listening to um, to what they need and um, and kind of, you know, translating that into, the uh, sort of uh, specific, um, detailed, forecastable, you know, operationalized, meticulous question um, that we can then bring to the platform and use as a, as you know, that information gathering tool. Um, and you know, it also has like part of our job there is to also communicate to our forecasting community what are we doing, why, what's the impact going to be. Um, which sort of brings people in and engages uh, engages forecasters more when they are you know fully in the loop on um, you know the direct impact that their forecast might have um, in decision making, um, and you know so that that is a um, that's really our, our our focus, and so you know we um, uh, we look at kind of like the speed at which we can um, generate an aggregate forecast, Uh, we look at the, we obviously empirically measure its accuracy always. Um, And, uh, and then we look at, you know, the, um, that sort of translation process from a specific, you know, probability distribution or, 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 or number. And, you know, how does that actually translate across into a larger set of considerations that's going into a decision that has to be made by a certain date. Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at for, for those types of partnerships. And then for the, for the Metaculus platform overall, I mean, there's a much larger set of considerations there. It's, you know, one that's very connected to a project like BDH is basically how do we create an ecosystem in which a project like the, the, um, the, you know, Keep Virginia Safe tournament can actually work very well. And, you know, the, so what does that environment look like? Well, it means that we have to have you know an engaged community it means that uh, we have to have tools that people like using it means that um, you know that there's enough kind of interest in in um, content um, that people are coming back regularly um, it means that we're also you know um, conveying that you know the type of work that we're doing you know kind of aligns with the values of the people who are showing up I mean there that's kind of a self-selecting process right we say this is this is what we're doing and, and the people who are um, excited about those things like like come and, and we have a lot of diversity of you know of, of themes on Metaculus and so it's not that every forecaster has to be excited about every theme absolutely not um, so like one of the things that we're thinking about is how do we do a little bit of a better job sort of matching you know forecasting interest to um, to forecasting question it's a really big question because we don't want to fall into the trap of information silos and if you just sort of one time say like, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, space exploration. And then you go on Metaculous and that's like all you see. Um, that would be a shame because you would lose out on, you know, just this really interesting diversity of questions where, you know, there's just so much creativity in, um, in our, in our community. And um, I learn every day <laughs> from, uh, from the forecasting community of, you know, things that are going on in the world. And um, so I think there are also people who come to Metaculus to get you know, almost as a news source to to just find out about interesting things that are going on in the world. And so if we sort of too tightly couple that, um, you know, that interest score, um, and we assume that we know what someone wants to see, you know, beforehand, then there could be, uh, you know, significant downside there. Um, And then there, you know, there, there are, you know, the other sort of platform goals that we have around, you know, um, continuously increasing, um, our accuracy, on the Metaculous prediction um, and, you know, investing also in, in you know, a culture where um, everyone on our team feels like they are, um, you know, contributing in a really meaningful way. And like they are, um, you know, I think the ideal, like, I, I don't know if you've heard of the Japanese uh, term Ikigai. Ikigai is um okay. idea where if you uh, if you are it's so it's what you love, what you're good at, um, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for, and it's basically a Venn diagram where those four things overlap. Um, which, um, yeah, it's a it's a totally great concept, and it's interesting because in the social sciences um, there have been some studies that have shown that like people who rate themselves as having you know high high ikigai, like are ha- very happy, <laughs> Make, which makes sense. Um, and even like have you know are even like healthier. Um, so you know that's the kind of thing where we'd love to create that culture where everyone has you know the ability to on our team to feel that they're um, that they're checking those boxes. And so part of what that means is that you know we as a company have to be also checking those boxes, like that we're we are doing things that we're good at and that the world needs um, and that are valuable. You know that that we can get paid for.
2: And um, just. Quick question on that, is the Metaculus team, I'm guessing because of the pandemic they're now, it's now remote, but um, was the company designed that way? Is it run that way um, yeah. or do you have an office?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So um, so the company was definitely run that way when I started advising and then I didn't live in the, in the same, like people in the company all started, almost everybody started in Santa Cruz, um, California. Um, that is where it, uh, you know two of the founders um, were professors. Now one is still a professor there, and the other of those two professors uh, teaches at Yale. That's Greg Laughlin, um, and uh, and then one, the third founder was a PhD student at UC Santa Cruz. Um, so Anthony still teaches there. Max went to school there. Greg used to teach there, and then David, the fourth Metaculus co-founder. Um, did, did not, was not connected to the university, but was very connected to the place and lived in Santa Cruz. Um, since that time, uh, basically only one person of those four still lives in Santa Cruz. <laughs> um, but it's still a place that, you know, there's a strong connection to and, and you know, friendships here um, and uh, like the university connection. And I um, actually grew up in Santa Cruz and then, uh, so even like when I first started coming to Santa Cruz to to have meetings uh, with Anthony and, and some of the other team members, they would sort of say, "Oh yeah, let's meet at such and such, you know, coffee shop. It's on this street." And I'm like, "I know," and they're like, "I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that you also, <laughs> you know, have a, a connection to this place." So, um, but um, but we've you know we've once you are committed to a remote strategy. It really changes how you hire, um, it really changes how you manage um, just your workflow, um, the tools that you invest in, um, and the way that you run meetings. And you know, it's so in and you know, it it we were ready for the pandemic in that sense. Um it didn't it did not really disrupt any of our processes. Um and then, you know, as uh as we've kind of now started to move into mostly kind of a post vaccination phase in our team, and we could be getting together in person. Um, we, uh, we actually just did uh, a a team gathering earlier this week, um, which was, which was super awesome to just, you know, see people and very unusual. We're like, what do we, do we shake hands? What do we do? Um, but, uh, but it was, uh, yeah, there, there is, uh, we're now a very global team and and I think we're going to stay that way.
2: Great. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a uh, and our listeners a sort of a breakdown of what forecasting causes are uh, at Metaculus and how that compares to the forecasting tournaments. I know that as of right now there are uh, two different forecasting causes: one on feeding humanity, uh, and the other is on healthy communities. And I was just wondering, could you explain those and how they differ from what's being done with uh, the Virginia Department of Health?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a um, potentially too subtle of a distinction. We, we were wondering how um, how easy this would be to understand, and it's, it's uh, we're kind of you know still in a learning phase here. Um, so the the thought with causes, so let me back up and just say forecasting causes is a, a toolkit that we wanted to create in order to facilitate forecasting on um, causes, you know altruistic causes uh, in a way that would allow us to more closely partner with. Um, charities and foundations and nonprofits um, as well as just institutions that are working on sort of, you know, altruistic causes in the world. Um, and, you know, because, for example, um, we have done, uh, I think, four tournaments now all related to COVID-19. Um, and we've worked with different groups. We thought, well, you know, maybe we could, if, if you know, from a discovery standpoint, um, as a, you know, as a user, Maybe you'd like to be able to discover all of the content, all of the tournaments that we've done around COVID, you know, in one sort of place and how, how would we like, how should we think about that? Um, and so we wanted to create an umbrella sort of cause framework so that we could have multiple kind multiple um, tournaments and multiple partnerships, um, but still have sort of that home for a, any given cause on the platform. Um, and you know, or potentially like multiple tournaments with even you know with the same with the same partner, um, and so that so and forecasting causes has another dimension, which is that we allow um, anybody to uh, to basically uh, uh, increase the prize pool of a tournament in that cause area by becoming a forecasting cause supporter, um, and so you know Metaculus has some Patreon um supporters uh who are so uh just grateful to have on on board um and you know they're generally supporting the overall metaculous project and so this is kind of a little bit more of a granular way if there's a particular cause that you want to support for good forecasts being developed in that area um you can you can direct um support that way and and support for a cause will be split between. the prize pool and the tournament uh, operations and administration for that, um, for any tournaments that are running in that cause area. Um, so that's kind of background on, on causes themselves. And then tournaments, um, you know, we imagine, you know, if, it's, if a tournament is related to a particular cause, we'll, we'll sort of live under that umbrella. Um, and we hope to be, you know, a, a, a convening ground um where we can even introduce you know organizations that might be working on the same cause um to each other and to maybe facilitate groups of questions that might be inputs into um you know into decision making across you know multiple multiple groups um and so that's you know that's one of the exciting things that we can do in causes as well sort of be that this hub of of like coordinating information information sharing um and, you know, in, and bringing in, you know, communities that are already connected to different cause areas or to different, you know, organizations uh, that can be brought in to sort of, you know, interact with with that particular theme on the Metaculous platform. Um, and then, you know, tournaments themselves are a little bit more of a general concept where, you know, there could be tournaments that are not necessarily related to a cause that might just be Related to an interesting topic in science, or to an uh, like a uh, you know economic forecasting work, um, so they don't necessarily have to be cause based. But the one the t- the two that we've launched um, uh, in the last few weeks are both uh, cause related.
0: And so going off of that, um, you know, for instance, in the feeding humanities cause, there's an alt protein tournament where you're looking at different. Um, and like at the future of how we feed ourselves, what we put into our bodies. Um, and if you know people who are listening go to the page, you'll see that there's a breakdown of the three types of questions that'll be asked during the tournament. Um, two of them, I think people will be probably familiar with the calibration questions and the long-term questions. Um, but one of the interesting ones in this tournament um, is the fortified essays. I was wondering if you could speak a bit about the fortified essays and their importance to forecasting into these tournaments.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that. Um, we are eagerly uh, all sort of you know. We actually were talking about this in our, our product meeting this morning. Um, we're we're putting the some final touches. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say final. We're put, we're adding more touches <laughs> to this to this feature, um, and it it will be ready pretty soon. Um, it needs a, it needs a little bit more uh, a little bit more work. Um, but we're really, really excited about about fortified essays because um, they are a very direct way to connect um, the verbal and the mathematical, or you know, uh, analysis that is qualitative and forecasts that are quantitative. Um, and a lot of what we've been finding is that um, in the the more you move into the application space. Um, and out of the research space, that that qualitative component is is really important to help people understand both um, how any given forecast was arrived at and also what its potential implications might be and how to sort of um, uh, embed it within a larger decision-making process. Um, And so, you know, if you, you know, If you are working with, say, uh, neural networks, um, this is a very, very common problem in AI where you might get some numbers. And sometimes they're really accurate, maybe sometimes they're not. um, And it's really hard to tell the difference because you cannot debug in many cases. I mean, this is now a a very active research theme of interpretable AI. that helps you to understand like how was it, how was any given answer arrived at? And so we are, um, you know, we're doing the exact same thing with Fortified Essays, we're helping, um, you know, forecasters and, you know, the, the, the sort of endpoints of, of um, you know, organizations that may be using forecasts um, to understand better how, how a given forecast um, was, was arrived at. And, you know, but prompts for fortified essays can be quite varied. The fortified essay, you know, as an idea, really what it is, is it's, it's just um, a, a, an essay that has testable predictions embedded within it. And so you can use that format to answer lots of different questions. You could, you could answer the question, you know, um, given that you're forecasting on the future of alt protein, for example, um, what do you think are going to be, you know, the most impactful Um, you know, technologies to invest in in the next 10 years. And you could say, tell me your analysis of like why, why you believe that, show me some testable predictions that help to back up your claims. Um, By the same token, you know, you could ask, here is a risk area, for example, you know, here is a um, uh, public health, you know, sort of risk that we're we're, um, forecasting on. And instead of saying, you know, what should we invest in? You might say, like, what are what do you believe are going to be the most important interventions and why? Um, and so it actually helps to connect the dots um, in that way. And so we've been talking with partners about, you know, this this new um, this new capability, including in education. Actually, we're quite excited. We're doing a small pilot project now where we're actually um, seeing Metaculus. Uh, uh, used in the classroom, um, and so prof- we've started to talk with professors, and they're like, "Absolutely, I'm. I will assign these as homework." You know, um, so this so the fortified essay has use in the classroom, and then it it, it also has use, you know, in the public policy space, um, and you know, for us, it's a, it's a. Uh, You know, it's a it's a core. We'd like to build tools that are super scalable and that like add value to a lot of different use cases. And so that's really how we're how we're seeing this will be used quite differently um, in different contexts. But fundamentally, um, you know, the thing that it does is it helps to connect writing and ideas with with the testable, you know, quantitative, probabilistic predictions on the Metaculus platform. And that, you know, that also goes to just, you know, public analysis in the public domain. I don't know if you all have um, read our COVID analyst, Juan um, a couple of recent blog posts on, uh, on COVID variants. Some of the comments that we get from when people read them are like, I wish that, you know, the news covered the subject, you know, like this. Um, where there is that, you know, background explanation and there's, you know, here's a, here's a worldview or here's a model of the world um, that, that you're sort of sharing evidence for. And if it's true, here's what we'll see and here are these predictions um, or just, you know, reporting. Here's what, uh, you know, the Metaculous uh, community um, thinks as likely in uh, in any given space, whether it's the future of renewable energy, or the future of space exploration, or the future of longevity science, um, or any of these you know fascinating areas, or even just you know U.S. economic indicators, which we've been doing more forecasting on in the last six months as well.
2: And what kind of tools are you building for the fortified essay when it comes to the person writing it? Is that it's easy to sort of like embed like a meticulous forecast into what you're writing? Okay
1: exactly it yeah' it's, it's as simple as that but that, that's really it it's just a tool where you can write um, you know an essay and uh, as you you know as you're writing you can um, natively embed metaculous forecasts and you'll have a little bit of you know um, you'll have some flexibility in terms of how, which graphs you show um, and being able to show the community prediction or being able to show your prediction Um and uh, and there'll be some uh, there'll be some other future capabilities there, but I best not tease them too soon.
2: <laughs> and would you would you have to create a question like would a question already have to exist or like can you create your own questions while you're writing a fortified essay?
1: That is such a great question, Clay. You're you're totally ahead of us. That is um, that is something that we just have been talking about because um, yeah, one of the things that that we're starting to think about. You know, I I kind of just talked about. You know what is? How would we love to to read the news or you know kind of public uh, public access you know news stories? What if a what if a news story was sort of merged with a scientific paper? If you like put those two together, we would love that to be a fortified essay. So it's like it's a, it's at it's, it's understandable. It's as accessible as reading the news, but it's as um, you know quantitative and testable. As like a scientific paper, or maybe even more than some than some papers, um, and uh, and so yeah, one of the things that we've been thinking about is, you know, we there there may be in the creative process of just writing a, a, a piece um, uh, like a, a, an essay or an article um, that there may be predictions that you come up with that you want to embed within the story that may not already exist on the platform, and so we're thinking through. Um, the possibilities there, yeah, it's a, it's, um, it would be great to be great to enable that.
2: Great, and then sort of moving from forecasting causes, uh, I have a sort of a question about just like larger Metaculus use, um, and I'm wondering sort of how you guys are thinking about it over at Metaculus. Um, I think there 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 have been a lot of commentaries out there about the Metaculus scoring system, which I don't want to really get into here. It's sort of more like a meta-level perspective of Metaculus scoring. Um, it's the the scoring system based on the leaderboard seems to be just like an 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 aggregate total score. So um, it's in some way based on forecasting accuracy, but it's also just based on the amount of time spent on Metaculus. Um, and I'm wondering are, are there considerations about how to change scoring to not just reflect sort of Time spent on the platform, because I can imagine, like as of right now, it's still relatively new, small enough user base that if you started now, you could reasonably climb to the top of the leaderboards. But if the if you were to start forecasting, say in 2023, you know the leaderboards have been up then for for years. Some people might have thousands, tens of thousands of of score as a then as a new forecaster it 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 almost be impossible unless like those people stop forecasting or they get really bad at forecasting to sort of make your way up to the top would be difficult so are 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 you guys thinking about how you can give incentives that are not tied to sort of total forecasting time
1: yeah so there's there's a couple of things I'll say here one is that it's it's a very delicate balance and we've tried very hard to kind of strike a, the right balance um because we don't want to you know, punish latecomers to for, you know to, to forecasting. Um, and, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make it too easy to like earn a reward without any effort. Um, so you will you will get rewarded more if you predict on questions early, if you predict on more questions. Um, but you know, the, the the sort of the um, downside for being late is linear uh, with respect to how late you are, where is the reward for being early and for, excuse me, the reward, not the reward for being early, the reward for being accurate is exponential. So there's a linear versus an exponential relationship there. Um, and you know, that this is the way that we've designed this is we've thought very carefully about, you know, tournaments, uh, tournament structure and what feels fair there. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, if you join a tournament at sort of, you know, the tail end, um, you shouldn't really be able to expect to like come in at the last minute and get a big prize. But if you're very accurate, you should do, you should still like do really well. Um, and so that's kind of how we, that's that the, the, the recent, um, big update that we made to our to the way that our scoring works is very specifically like geared toward toward that um, tournament structure, um, and then in terms of just you know rewarding participation, rewarding accuracy. Um, there's a couple things that we're thinking about here. One is you know just like in in sort of like baseball statistics or in any in any sort of you know um, project where you're looking at different dimensions of skill, um, we recognize that there are lots of different kinds of skills in forecasting. Um, and they're going to, they're going to even be different. If you look at like different topics, if you look at different timeframes, having a purely apples to apples comparison is that's the only way that you can truly compare, um, the true skill of any one forecaster versus another. And it's incredibly difficult to have a complete apples to apples comparison. Um, so we are building a set of a new set of tools, uh, later in the year, where we'll be looking at sort of expanding the number of statistics that we report, enabling those apples to apples comparisons where they make sense, um, and I think just being more transparent about the fact that like apples to apples is um, actually is one way of, of is one very um, you know rigorous way of comparing this f- forecasting skill um, and where where you can get it, and so um, that. And sort of just making it clear that we're not doing that in all cases. Um, and then there's sort of a whole other set of rewards and you know recognition and acknowledgement um, that can exist on the platform that don't have to do with just you know making forecasts. There are things that you know we really appreciate. Um, question authors. Um, we really appreciate great comments. Um, and you know there this you know the discussion is such a rich you know place where where people come and and, and learn and engage, um, and so we're also kind of thinking about um, you know ways that we can more explicitly acknowledge and, and recognize those other kinds of contributions. You know we were talking about this earlier. Um, great forecasting is is a particular set of skills that that can go into that, um, and those are not necessarily the same skills as What's needed to write great questions, um, and so sometimes it's not even the same people, you know, who are who have a, a sort of a you know comparative advantage in those different areas. And so we want to kind of broaden the scope of what we're trying to do to not just you know we 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 are absolutely um, you know building core tools for the most um, accurate forecasting that we can, and at the same time forecasting is. Um, one part of the process because the ultimate goal that we have as as a as a company and as a platform is really to improve that decision-making process that we talked about and to help you know and and to um, expand knowledge and uh, and like increase you know learning and to develop also that you know intrinsic motivation around um around learning and so that the the overall project of creating shared knowledge you can contribute to that in a lot of different ways. And so we want to make sure that we're, um, uh, that we're being, you know, that we're recognizing that uh,
2: on the topic of sort of of that and sort of the, the, the purpose um, I think that sort of ties in well to uh, good judgment open. And um, for those of you who are unaware, good judgment open is a forecasting platform created by the good judgment project. Which was a spinoff of Good Judgment Inc, which is what the book super Forecasting is based on um two part question one is sort of what do you see as the key differences outside of users submitting their own questions, which is obviously a very large difference between the two platforms but outside of that um what are the differences um, that you see as the key differentiators between the two and then also um is there like what sort of work is being done, do you think, to establish a common way of talking about forecasts between the Metaculus and the good judgment community? Um, you were talking about sort of as you build Metaculus, you know, to have it be successful, you need people engaging on the platform, which means that over time, if Metaculus is successful, you'll have some people who primarily forecast on Metaculus and some who primarily forecast on good judgment. There'll be crossovers, but, If you're achieving your engagement rates, they'll probably have a preferred home. And so to facilitate sort of larger forecasting dialogue, Mm -hmm. um, I think there needs to be a sort of a common set of terminology. This is something that um, our colleague, Michal Dabrowski, um, has been working on when it comes to creating sort of common words associated with probabilities. Um, So just to tie back to those two questions... Um, What do you see as like your key differentiator from good judgment open? And then what sort of work is being done to facilitate um, a common set of terms and like creating dialogue between the two different forecasting communities?
1: Great questions. Um, You know, I think just uh, empirically, what we focused on as to, you know, two different forecasting platforms um, is a bit different. You know, I think I think of good judgment as um, tending a little bit more toward geopolitics, um, although they have been doing a lot of COVID stuff too in the last year. Um, whereas, you know, Metaculus, um, we tend to lean a little bit further toward the, uh, you know, science and technology um, uh, th- uh, topics. Um, you know, it, we we did a a little bit of an analysis on this recently, where we actually looked at our overall questions on the site you know since the beginning and and by far and away the largest number of questions that we have are are on science and technology
2: ai in um, particular i'm guessing
1: ai is a big one um uh certainly um but it's actually a bit broader than that you know it 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 uh it spans across you know uh, uh, advances in um in a, across different fields um, the biosciences um space exploration um you know just computer science in general um, security. Uh, so there is there is a there's that, and I think that that attracts a little bit of a different uh, kind of community. We 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 do have a um, a fairly large number of folks, you know, who are who are members of you know the Metaculus forecasting community, who have a background in computer science um, or data science or um, or somewhere in STEM. Um, so I think that's uh, I think that's one differentiator. Um, that just comes from you know the types of questions that we ask and 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 just how we focused you know the content of the site, um, and then I think another thing uh, that is also kind of just related to technology is that Metaculus as an organization has a greater focus on technology. Um, we build our own tools, um, and so we have uh, that you know integration between um, you know what. Uh, uh, what sorts of capabilities we want to enable, and then being able to to, to sort of quickly, um, you know, deploy changes, uh, or I should say, at a reasonable pace, <laughs> deploy you know, deploy changes as we as, as we develop, you um, know, as we develop new ideas based on the feedback that we're getting and sort of the opportunities that we see in in the community, um, and then in terms of of you know connecting the dots, um, I I think. I'm hoping that that I'll have more to to say about that uh, fairly soon. Um, I see, you know, the forecasting space is being populated by just a lot of really interesting people and um, really really smart, um, you know, uh, uh, scientists and practitioners. Um, and you know, I'd love to just see, you know, more collaboration and um, you know, including things like like what you've mentioned about uh, uh, creating some standardization in terminology, um, and maybe even, you know, some of the forecast evaluation, uh, processes. Um, so I, I, uh, I'm pretty excited about, you know, the, the potential for that kind of collaboration now, you know, more than ever, um, there's actually a, uh, an academic working group that is, um, being run right now, uh, in, um, uh, well, of course, all on Zoom, but at the University of Pennsylvania, and there are a number of folks, you know, around the country and even some overseas, who are part of this working group. And I think it's it's just created a really um, uh, a, a, a very strong, you know, and direct connection for for that kind of conversation to happen. So it's pretty pretty exciting, and that's really that's really only started a. a a, a few months ago and it will, or a couple, a few weeks ago rather, and it will go through the rest of the year.
0: So before we get to our final segment, um, which is the rapid fire questions, which you might have seen on some of our past uh, interviews. Um, just curious about where you see forecasting going in the future. So something one that might be tied to this like common lexicon that might be developed in the next few years. Um, but you also mentioned that you're seeing adoption in schools with fortified essays. Um, yeah, where do you think forecasting, which is You know, Clay and I have identified as still somewhat of a hobby space, still somewhat niche and under the radar. Um, Where do you see it going, its potential in the future in terms of adoption and just greater usage socially?
1: It's also a great question. You know, if you'd asked me um, this question a year ago, I probably would have said, well, you know, I think that we should really be um, bringing forecasting into companies, uh, large and small. and now a year later, you know, having having spent a lot of the last year looking at um, various sorts of, you know, un- pockets of uncertainty um, that are to a greater or lesser degree uh, related to this global pandemic, which has just created uncertainty and, you know, a, sort of an unprecedented level in our lifetimes. Um, I would actually say that there's a tremendous amount of, you know, potential for adoption in... Um, in sort of a public health space, in you know, government decision making more broadly, um, in the way that philanthropy and research organizations um, think about resource allocation. Um, and then, you know, of course, you know, there, there's you know, the investor mindset, whether you are an investor um, uh, in you know, on Wall Street. Or whether you're an investor in a philanthropic organization, where you're thinking long term about what capabilities exist today, what capabilities might exist, you know, ten or twenty years from today, and what do we need to be doing now? Where do we need to be investing to get there? There's a, you know, there there's sort of there's a um, uh, a stance of sort of defense against risk, and there's also a stance of sort of you know uh, moving toward opportunity. And I think that, you know, that second stance of moving toward opportunity is um, is a really, really uh, powerful one for forecasting. I have to say, I mean, they're both very important. You know, looking at risks, um, protecting against downside risk um, is also a really valuable uh, place um, to use forecasting. But I think that they're they're stronger together. If you're only ever sort of responding to risk, then um, you can be you can. Fall into a pattern of, of or habit of mind where you're just really reactive and you're responding to what is happening um, in the near term in, in 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 the space around you. And I think that it requires um, you know a bit of that uh, that longer term view um, to get the most value out of out of forecasting as a tool.
2: Great. And so now we are moving on to our rapid fire round, although this is going to be a special rapid fire round. uh, This week, we are going to give you a chance to warm up your forecasting chops by going through five different questions on Metaculus and just give an over under on what the community median is. And then we're going to hop into our standard for rapid fire forecast that all guests on this podcast have to give. Um, So we are going to start off. With a question that we have forecasted on Metaculus Mondays, um, the what is likelihood that a majority of the Quad and the Five Eyes countries boycott the twenty twenty two Winter Olympics in Beijing? So this would be Canada, U.S., U.K., Japan, Australia, India, and New Zealand. The community median is fifteen percent. Guy, are you above or below that? I would say
1: I'm a little below that. Um... I think that's really, really unlikely, actually, because, um, well, there, Okay, so thinking aloud, um, I think that the general desire in the uh, sort of five eyes, you know, countries in particular, led by you know the U.S. and and uh, in the, in looking at U.S.-China relations. Um, would be you know that having a good relationship is with China is much more valuable in the long term and is a better way to um, you know kind of secure the you know the safety and the prosperity of um, of u s national interests. Um, that being said, there's a you know significant risk of um, you know increasing aggression um, between you know in by mainland China in Taiwan. And so there is, I think that that's where that 15% comes from is, you know, you're basically saying if there's a really, really um, uh, significant action that's taken that, you know, uh, at, a, at a geopolitical level, at a diplomatic level, needs to, there needs, you know, a stance um, needs to be taken sort of against, um, you know, unjustified violence uh, then I think that I think that's where I think that's where that that boycott would come from. And I think, you know, there's different ways that you could see it going. There could be a an argument made for, you know, uh, the Olympics being a place where we should create cultural connections. And, you know, the Olympics are are not um, the place for sort of geopolitical debate. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I would I guess I w- I guess I would go with maybe 10 percent.
2: 10%. And that is actually one of the rapid fire questions too. So we will log that okay. as a 10% for that. Question number two. Um, will there be renewed fighting between Russia and Ukraine in the Donbas this summer? This question would resolve positively if more than 215 uh, Ukrainian military members were to die in any given month. We have also forecasted this one on Metaculous Mondays and we gave it a 25%. I mean, the com- the community median is 25%. We're at 15% likelihood on this question. Um, and the associated rapid fire question for this one is what is the likelihood that Russia annexes territory in Eastern Europe by 2026? So an over under and a mm-hmm. forecast on the annexation.
1: I'm not sure you're going to like my answer. Um, I feel like I haven't done quite enough reading lately like the, the situation in russia is so volatile right now um and uh i don't think that it would be the responsible thing for me to do to sort of put a number out there because i uh i would for for this type of question the, the stakes are are high um and i i don't want to um, add to the noise uh, if i can instead be a little bit more educated and add to the signal.
2: Uh, what about the over under though on the community forecast? We'll let you skip the rapid fire, but you're not going to get unscathed from both.
1: Uh, so the, the, um, the more community meeting 25%. 25%.
2: And we were at 15%. I guess
1: I'll, I guess I'm under on this one too. Okay. Yeah, I think I think 20% is a little high.
2: Uh, this next question, which was recommended by Twitter. Will a member of the Trump family be the Republican nominee for the US presidency in twenty twenty four? Thirty-three percent likelihood over under on that?
1: That one I, I'm hmm. I think I have to go over.
2: Over on that. Probably where we would be too. Um, number four is the likelihood that AOC becomes the Democratic nominee for president by 2032. So, all the way through the 2032 cycle, um, so nine percent community median on that one.
1: I'm over. I'm over. Yeah. That, what, what, was it nominee or 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 just elected?
2: just just the Democratic presidential nom? Yeah, that one does seem very low for the community quite,
1: quite median. Me, yeah.
2: Um, and then another one, which is, we also did a Metaculous Monday on, is what is the likelihood that Israel and Saudi Arabia establish official diplomatic relations in 2021? Um, we actually were way below the community median and they have now gotten below us since the fighting in, uh, between Israel and Hamas has kicked off. 10% community median on official diplomatic relations by 20. 20- By the end of this year.
1: I think I'm under.
2: And then what about by 2025? That is a rapid fire question. We need a percentage on by 2025.
1: The same question. I I, I guess I'll go 20.
2: 20%? Then we have one more rapid fire question, Andrew. Why don't you take it away?
0: Yeah. So for the last question of the episode, it's a bit uh, more lighthearted, not very close to any of the places we've discussed so far. Um, this question actually has to do with space. Um, so the question is: By twenty thirty, what do you think the likelihood is that we find um, life, or you know, signs of life um, in in outer space? It can be sort of like a single cell organism, or Um, through any manifestation of life that you have in
2: your mind and convincing techno signatures as well so in theory if the report that the u.s is due by the end of this year on ufos i i say no one should call them uaps that is that is nonsense but ufos you know that would also do if they had you know high confidence that they were from other intelligent life
1: I'm going to have to go quite high on this one because um yeah, we were just talking about this at l- at lunch at our offsite and um some evidence was being shared, you know, there's a recent book that just got published, um there's the there's some new photos of Mars that seem very very inter- very relevant to this to this question. So um especially yeah, by 2030 I, I guess I'm going to go for like a
2: 65 and that's primarily based on the idea of finding like single cell organism life on mars or evidence of past life on mars is that where the majority of your forecast is coming is there any weight given to you know 60 minutes this last week had a whole segment on UFOs, what I'm curious where, where that's fitting in. We had a previous guest, Saar, the founder of of, of of Root Claim, and I think a large part of his forecast or a solid chunk of that was coming from things of that nature. So
1: Yeah, you know, it's um it's an area that I I think most people have or I think many, many people have not sort of given any credence to the to uh, you know the the um, you know shoddy evidence of UFO sightings, and there's a recent book that that has come out um, that uh, apparently I have not read it, but it apparently uh, is you know a careful review of a lot more recent evidence and like it's. Um, uh, Apparently, like much more verified than in previous. I mean, when you know the the, um, the the just the number of cameras that we have out there and the ability, like our, the you know the ease with which we can capture stuff very quickly is just increasing. And so there's more people looking. There's more you know, just more sensors out there in the world that are that could be looking for these sorts of of um, you know techno signatures or uh, or sightings or um, other kinds of evidence. Um, So I have to say, like, I, I, this is also an area where I'd like to get more educated before sort of making a, a, you know, really, um, a strong, you know, confident statement about what I believe. But, um, I think I've, I've been shifted off of, you know, zero belief to like, and to like, this is like definitely impossible to say to basically saying, well, like maybe I need to update my prior there. And there's, you know, um, you know, with all of the Fermi paradox conversations, you know, for the, over the last many years, like if we're going to take it seriously, that, that we're, you know, that life, intelligent life could be, or, or even, you know, very basic life could be, um, you know, could, could be out there somewhere. Um, I don't know. It's starting to feel like, uh, maybe by 2030, we'll, um, you know, we'll have sensors that are capable of picking something up.
2: Awesome. Um, well, Gaia, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, is there anything you would like to tell our, our listeners? Where can they find you? What can they be expecting from Metaculous um, in the near future? Yep. All that great stuff. Uh,
1: yeah, you can you can find us at Metaculous.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter and say hello, we'd like to hear from you. Um, and uh, something you can um, expect to to hear about uh, pretty soon here is, uh, and that's me on Twitter, <laughs> um, is uh, you you can look out for um, some updates on our two cause-related uh, tournaments uh, in the near future, and you can also look for a. Um, kind of a prototype uh, uh, new design language um, that, you know, as I mentioned before, is really going to be mobile first. Um, and uh, we're, we're really excited to hear feedback. I think it's going to be one of the biggest changes to uh, the Metaculus, you know, platform, you know, it, since its inception. So it's uh, it's something that we're very, very eager to get, you know, community feedback on before making, you know, the sort of big change. So we're going to be um showing some showing some prototype designs pretty soon and then uh, and then we'll actually have um a sort of just a prototype site where people can play with it before we just you know turn the switch overnight and, and have the chance to give us give us their thoughts. So we're uh yes, wait eagerly we eagerly awaiting feedback on that with, with Bells on.
2: Well that is very exciting and we look forward to um seeing the design and um giving yeah, our own feedback. feedback on it. Yeah. Exactly. All right, everyone. This was the uh, 14th episode of the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast with the CEO of Metaculus, Gaia Dempsey. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: And that's a record.